and welcome to England Unmasked, the podcast dedicated exclusively to England that will help you through the Euros, which the three Lions will hope to win on July the 11th under the Wembley Arch. I'm Dom Smith. And I'm Luke Edwards. Woo! We've done it! Yeah, it's funny you said the podcast where we uh, we hope that England can go and win it. And it's that was a big test that they've overcome against Germany, isn't it? It was it was one of those like if they beat Germany, it can go all the way uh, psychologically more than anything as well. Gareth Southgate, although he won't admit it, it has sort of blown away some of the demons from 1996. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was fantastic. Not the greatest game to watch, but hey. You'll, even though the games the night before were brilliant to watch, the favourites were out and England are still in. That's the main thing. Absolutely. Luke, I have not eaten anything all day. Or, or that which I have eaten has been small and not filled me up because I, I can't lie. I get so nervous in the, on days like this. Watching the game, I, I was able to stomach one beer, you know, um, one beer, one uh, can of Coke. And, and beyond that, I was, I was done for the game. I, I was fixated on the football and I, I couldn't think about anything else and even then I could barely think about the football Same I was perspiring and uh, once the game was finished I had to go and sit outside with a glass of wine just to calm myself down a bit Yeah absolutely but ultimately we, we, we got it done um, I, I think we'll um, we'll throw it back to the Czech Republic game first though because um, England uh, ended up winning that match of course 1-0 to top the group but they thought they'd scored a second late on when Jordan Henderson popped up with what he thought was his first England goal. In the end, it was rightly chalked off for, for offside. But in that moment, Henderson thought he'd struck his first for his country uh, a whole 60 caps in. And I spoke to him midweek about that moment, what he felt and, and, and how disappointed he was that it did end up getting disallowed. I just want to ask you about the goal which you scored. I mean, you haven't scored yet for England. You must have been dreaming that you'd scored your first for your country. What did you think at the moment? I thought I could have been offside, to be honest. Um, I wasn't quite sure, because I thought I might have hit off the defender's foot as well. I, I wasn't sure it came off, off Jude or the defender, so I was, I was, that's what I was questioning. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, it, it was offside. But I'm sure it's coming, I can feel it. <laughs> it was funny, actually, because you heard a lot of people say after the game, why didn't England draw it so they could finish second and avoid all this? And then... It, the cards just fell beautifully, didn't they, the day after? And at one stage, it was looking like Hungary until Germany equalised. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of people saying this week, oh, don't, you know, don't don't say that the cards have fallen nicely. Don't say we're on the nice side of the draw. Don't jinx it. But, you know, none of the, all of that's nonsense. There's no jinxing it. Ultimately, it comes down to can England take their opportunity? I think Denmark right now are about as good, perhaps, as Croatia were in 2018, maybe a little tiny bit worse, but I think they're around the same quality. And I think if we were to end up facing Denmark in the in the semi-final, you know, they they like us would be there for a reason, um, and we'd have to take that seriously. Ultimately, first we've got to negotiate a quarter-final. Yeah. The very first the very first game in this uh, in this knockout stage was Germany, and that brought back some some real memories. And I said to you, Don, Germany would have won a water out of the big three. Yeah, true. I mean, we knew coming into this fixture that Germany were not the side that they that they have been in the past. 
that they've won every knockout match against England uh, since England won the World Cup final in 1966. But, but you know, th- this one felt a little bit different right from the off, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, the first 10 minutes were, it was all Germany, but the atmosphere seemed absolutely bonkers, didn't it? I mean, yeah. it was almost like a combination of the magnitude of the game and the fact that fans were allowed back in the stadium. It was almost like 18 months of frustration, pent-up frustration, just all let out. And they really got behind the team, didn't they? Um, yeah. And I think that really helped. Uh, it really helped the team, didn't it, going forward. And, and there, were, there were some frustrations starting to creep in until England still England scored, but uh, once that came in, the atmosphere was fantastic. Um, they did ride the luck a little bit, but hey, you need that when you were, need to go through a tournament, don't you? And the only team left in it still with a clean sheet. Yeah, I mean, I put in my match report for englandfootball.org that they weathered the storm early on rather than rode their luck. I thought that really Germany, you know, Germany were in control, but they didn't seem to have too many opportunities. And beyond that, I know Germany possessed the ball more than England over the course of the game. But England ultimately never looked out of that match. They never looked to be um, the the team on the back foot, really. They allowed a few counter-attacking opportunities. Werner, of course, Timo Werner of Chelsea, had one of the first chances of the game. But Pickford stood strong, as he did throughout the game and and indeed as he has done throughout the tournament so far. Well, I texted you at half-time and I said, England need to get hold of Cruz, Goretzka and Havertz. Because they were all, they were just floating about. Goretzka just sneaked into that box, doesn't he? And it wasn't picked up. Um, and apart from Havertz, they dealt with the other two really well, didn't they? Well, it was, of course, a very, very different game once Sterling had scored that wonderful opener for England late in the second half. But before that, you, you wondered whether going back to a 3 4 3, you'd maybe be missing that midfield link. You wondered whether the link between midfield and attack might really be struggling without a mount figure or a Grealish playing centrally. But actually, I thought while they got yellow cards out early on, which could which certainly worried me, I thought Declan uh, mm. Rice and Calvin Phillips played very well. Declan Rice was outstanding. The yellow cards seemed to inspire me even more. The way he didn't dive in was fantastic. Agreed. Um, Phillips can be a liability, and certainly his yellow card could have been a red if it was a slightly harsh referee. But... Um, you know, th- those are the those are the um, those are the moments, aren't they? That, that matches hinge on. If he gets a red there, England play, uh, you know, form a defensive block for the whole game, and they're basically trying to ride their ride their luck until penalties. But it, it, I think it was probably just a yellow. He gets given a yellow. Yes, he's got to watch himself. But England can carry on with eleven men. Half time was nil nil. Of course, w- were you concerned then? I I, I was starting yes. to get a bit panicked. Okay, that's the simple answer is yes. <laughs> I was sweat. I could say to you, I was sweating cobs, and the more the game went nil nil, the more I'm thinking Germany are going to nick this. or it's going to go to penalties, and there yeah. wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot in the game, was there? Um, like I say, Germany controlled possession without really opening England up. England had they were a bit like the Greek games where they were getting into good positions, but frustratingly, people like Kyle Walker weren't crossing the ball. Luke Shaw weren't. And they obviously had a word with them at half time because they were a lot more advanced and, and asked a lot more questions going forward, second half. Yeah, they did. Um, what did you make of Kane's performance? It was weird, actually. I thought, again, he looked short of confidence. He, he wasn't in the game, missed that chance before half time, which he just scored. And then he got a whack on Hummels, didn't he? And it, it looked, they were saying, 
oh, is he going to be able to carry on? And it, that seemed to trigger him after that. He was holding the ball, laying it off. Mm. Of course, got the assist for the first goal. Well, was, didn't get the assist, but he was certainly involved, wasn't he? In the little layoff, nice little turn and layoff yeah. um, for the first goal. And then fantastic header to get onto the end of Grealish's cross. And, and that would give him so much belief. I think that's that's a massive weight lifted off his shoulders. Yeah, he won't care how that, that goal came, you know, went in. He, he won't care if it was a tapping on the line with his left foot. But as it happened, it was a really smart header. It, it, it won't live long in the memory, um, what I'm about to refer to, or it, did, it hasn't lived long in the memory. But, you know, as an England nerd, I remember Danny Welbeck scored an England goal very, very similar to that against Costa Rica in one of our warm-up games before the 2018 World Cup. And it reminded me massively of that. But this, of course, was a, was a really important goal in a really important game. And it gave England the assurance goal that actually they could muck up late on once and still get through. But they didn't, did they? I thought Maguire, Walker and Stones were outstanding, especially aerially. All, the, all the Yorkshire wall. Yeah, well, quite. You know, especially in the air, winning everything. Pickford was outstanding again. Mm. Uh, and, you, you know, you go, we do our winners and losers section and we'll do it in a second. But, you know, you go right through that team. I, I can't think of a player who had a bad game. Trippier probably touched the ball less than most of the England players. But his positioning is outstanding. That's why he was picked ahead of Reese James. Is because he knows where to stand as a left back, as a right back. He knows where to stand as a left back. He knows where to stand as a wing back on either side. And he's committed when he needs to be. He, he, he takes risks when he should. He takes no risks when he shouldn't take risks. Yeah, he, he, he played well. Um, and we'd, I'd have to say he was England's least involved player. I thought Saka had a good game until he came off and, and all the rest of them. Well, you know, we heard from them about as much as, uh, you know, each other. that They all put in a, a decent showing and deserve to reach what they now have reached. That's credit to all of them. I must admit, I did slump down in my, in my, uh, in my, on my sofa, though, when Thomas Muller ran through one-on-one because he thought, there's no way he's going to miss this. And then, unbelievably, he did. I slumped down in my seat, squealed, and then next minute, I was speechless. I must be honest. Well, I started my match report on that because I just thought that was such a sign of the times. You know, And ten- it was a massive moment. You just kind of know, do you know what? It's going England's way, this. Exactly. Those are the moments on which the pendulum shifts in moments uh, in games as tight as this. Muller, 10 years ago, 11 years ago in Bloemfontein in in, uh, South Africa, he would have put that away. No questions asked. David James would have been lying down, looking forlorn, and England would have conceded to him. Didn't happen this time. It didn't happen. England looked, you know, the team in control of this match. I said before the game, and I didn't by any means know that England would win. I suspected it would be, maybe this was recency bias, but I thought it would be another cagey 1-0 where England dictate the tempo and and just get that that moment. In the end, it was plus another lovely goal late on. Um, But, you know, I said before the game, the way that we know that we're favourites for this match, England, is that I... You know, Gareth Southgate, if he wanted that game to be an open and, uh, and uh, interesting affair, like like Portugal, Germany had been, like Croatia, Spain had been, like Switzerland, France had been. That's not what Southgate wanted. But if he wanted the game to be like that mm. and, and set up his team to do that, it would have happened. If uh, As it happened, he wanted it to be uh, pragmatic and slow and tight. 
And the only what? team that came what out against the only team that came out against Germany was Portugal, and look what happened. Well, exactly. Would Joachim Love ha- have had the same uh, control over that game if he wanted it to be fast-paced and open, or tight and 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 uh, cagey? Could he have really had the same choice as Southgate had? That suggests to me that England were the team, you know, who were expected to win. And I think they were marginally. And ultimately, Southgate won't think of that as revenge because he'll say this was the Germany of 2021, not the Germany of, 20, of, of 1996. But for a lot of fans in that stadium and across the country, this is revenge. It, it, you know, it's not personal. It's a compliment, if anything, to how good the German team has been over the years. But England got over the line and knocked them out. And, and at the end of the, the end of the game, it, they, they were German tears. They weren't English tears. Mm. And, and that's a that's a nice feeling, isn't it? It's not often you see that, is it, as an England fan of Germany Germany uh, tears. But what was interesting as well was the goalkeeper who saved Gareth Southgate's penalty that night is now the goalkeeping coach at Germany, Andrews Cook. Uh, I'm sure Southgate could have afforded a little fist pump in in his direction as the second goal. When really, in, so. you got Andreas Kupka in the uh, coaching team. Yeah, we sat behind Joachim Love. So uh, yeah, a bit of a sweet poetic justice there as well. I wonder if he knows that. I'm sure he does. I'm sure that's a silly question. I'm sure he does. Oh yeah, he knows everything. And and again, that's going to get us onto our winners uh, and losers section, is it? Which is coming up now. I don't think there are any losers, are there? <laughs> Should we just no, move on from there now? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think no, I don't think there are any losers. The losers, of course, in a very real sense, are Germany. And Joachim Love, his last game as manager. Yeah, yeah. Not a good end for him, but ultimately I think I think the German the German media might might be I think the German fans and the media actually, I think they'll let him have this one. He's won the World Cup. He's won the Confederations Cup. He got to the final of Euro 2008 and he's got to a smattering of semi-finals. Ultimately, he's been, he's been in charge for 15 years. And had the same haircut for 15 years as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's certainly true. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's been a good manager for them. And ultimately, they came through third in the group of death and faced England next. They went out to England. That's not embarrassing, is it? I don't think that's embarrassing. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what the headlines are in Germany following that. Um, in terms of winners, obviously start off with the manager again, who's, I, I must admit, I love him. Just, Sven, uh, just zen-like, isn't he? He just seems to exude a calmness when you've got the Twitter army going, why is he not picked Grealish? Why is he not picked Foden? That wasn't the game to, for Grealish to start. In. The next game is which we'll get onto shortly because it'll probably be a bit more compact. It was a game for Grealish to come on and affect the game, which is what he did. He got his substitution spot on, he got his tactic on, and uh, well done, Gary Southgate, once again. Uh, as you mentioned, Jordan Pickford, fantastic. Really good save from Timo Werner in the first half. The one from Havertz, I thought, was even better because it was travelling, it was dipping, even though it was more or less straight at him. It was a fantastic effort. And uh, Declan Rice, again, as I mentioned it before, I mean... He actually went down with cramp just before the first goal, but he was geeing the crowd up. He, he ran himself into the ground. He could see what it meant to him at the end. Absolutely. I always describe Southgate as a quiet philosopher. 
you know, he, he's got the words for any moment, a moment of jubilance, a moment of adversity and everything in between. But he, he, he gets it spot on. Tactically is where you know, people called him into question. You know, you can't... Um, ultimately, the buck does stop with the manager. And if England had lost that, that would rightly invite criticism from Gareth Southgate or criticism of Gareth Southgate. But, you know, the analytics team at the FA have been, have been working harder and have more data behind them than any other national team on this planet. This preparation for this game began years and years and years ago, not a week ago when we found out in a very literal sense that it was Germany next. So there's only so much criticism you can actually angle at a manager anyway in Southgate's position. Ultimately, personnel. Um, tactics, I thought, were spot on. Mm. I, I heard calls that perhaps England were giving too much respect to a rather erratic opposition by matching up to a 3-4-3. But I don't care how much respect we give people as long as we don't make the same mistakes that Portugal did and lost 4-2. England didn't do that. They exactly. never looked they never looked anywhere near as open at the back as that, apart from the one moment where Sterling's back pass was intercepted by Kai Havertz, Thomas Muller went through and sensationally shot the ball wide. Other than that, England didn't look stretched by Germany, and they certainly at no point looked stretched by Hussens on the wing or Kimmich, which is where we mm -hmm. thought the problems would come from. Southgate deserves immense credit, and I think all the England players do. Every single one of them. Would you rather be entertaining and lose 4-3, or would you rather be pragmatic, tactically sound and win 1-0, or 2-0 in this case? Well, I know a lot of, I know a lot of um, family members and friends um, prefer the idea of the 4-3 defeat. Gone out in a kind of... I understand it. You know, you've gone out in a in a dramatic fashion you no one can say that you couldn't that, that you had more to give that you didn't because you left it all out on the pitch but ultimately the, these players their first priority isn't to entertain the paying public mm. the paying public would like to think that it is but it's actually to serve their career you know it's actually to, and i understand the paying public do pay a lot of money especially for these games but these players want to win the European Championship. They want to be part of that first team to ever do reasonably well beyond Euro 96 at, a Europe, at, a, at Euros. And they put themselves in with a good chance by playing pragmatic football and, wait, and waiting for that one moment well, in the game or two as there were today. It's good you mentioned that because I saw somebody else mention it on Twitter and it was a case of, in the end, England wore them down. As soon as Grealish came on, they actually went on the offensive and they really attacked Germany, didn't they, in that last 20 minutes, barring sort of stuff. And they, they were on the front foot and it, it was a case of wait, waiting for the right moment, wasn't it? Well, exactly. And by the time Sterling had scored that first goal, then Germany had to come out. But the interesting thing is they came out in a kind of... Um, I've got to do my maths now. Seven players came out and played and stood on the line of the six yard of the 18 yard box. The goalkeeper Neuer stayed in goal, 
the three centre backs stayed back, and there was an utter and clear void of any <laughs> midfield, which is exactly how Luke Shaw was able to drive with the freedom of Wembley, the three, the freedom of Brent Borough, you know, to the edge of the box, tap it wide to Grealish, who assisted Kane's first of the tournament, England's second of the game, which ultimately killed the game, and 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 won it for England. That was so poor from Germany to leave mm. that much space. You, you you need a goal, so get yourselves up the pitch, fine, but but don't lose it in midfield when you've got no one behind you. You know. We've heard our thoughts, so I know Dom. We're going to get a professional's opinion. Who were, who was actually at the game, aren't we? Indeed, uh, we're going to hear now from the chief football writer of the the Mirror, John Cross. Here are his thoughts. John, thank you very much for joining me, although I'm pretty sure you'll you'll be you'll be pleased to be here after last night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the morning well, the lunchtime after the night before, really. So it just um it was fantastic. What an amazing atmosphere, what an amazing occasion. I feel incredibly privileged and lucky to have been there to have witnessed it, because I'm sure we've all seen some highs and lows um covering England and that was honestly that was as good as it gets as loud as I've ever known it at Wembley for an atmosphere because Wembley sometimes you know we all maybe have reservations about it as, as a stadium as, a, as an atmospheric stadium and um, the way it sort of kind of reverberates with noise the pitch whatever it might be but honestly that was Wembley at, at its absolute best what an occasion beautiful wonderful moment for English football Absolutely. I don't feel like I've drawn breath in the last sort of 14 hours or so, but, um, you know, England versus Germany, but this one just felt a bit different, didn't it? It did really. I mean, it struck me that the, I felt as if that, you know, the formation change could have gone a little bit, uh, you know, one of two ways. And I think it could be perceived as a bit negative I think in the first 10 or 15 minutes, I thought, oh dear, what's what's happening here? I didn't like that very much. The players look nervous, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Germany, whatever you say about them, and there are a team in transition, they've got a lot of big game experience players. So I'm thinking Neuer, Hummels, you know, Muller. Um, and it just felt as if, wow, they, they've turned up and they're, you know, Tony Cruz and, and Goretzka were good in midfield. And I just thought the turning point, the catalyst for me was Bukayo Saka of all people, really. He just basically began to sort of exercise a little bit of a midfield authority. More players grew into the game. thought Harry Maguire was terrific throughout. And it's just, you know, Jordan Pickford, again, faultless. We'll talk about the goal scores, I'm sure, in a moment. But it was just like the way that England... What really impressed me was the way that England didn't let those early nerves completely dominate their performance because I think previous teams would have crumbled and not found a way back in and I love that mentality and I love that game management and I love the kind of the way that they can find a way back and it was so special because it was Germany yes you know you could argue we'll never have a better chance of beating Germany because Germany are not the team that they once were but I will argue all day long that that Germany performance against Portugal was awesome in the group stage, yeah. when they got their their wing backs playing, the wing backs I thought were were okay, you know, last night and did all right. But anyone that thinks that that Germany, you know, is is a poor team is deluded. You know, that was a magnificent victory for, for England, and it comes with it, you know, so many barriers broken down. You know, that that first you know knockout 
win since uh, 96, the first win in tournament win over Germany, you know, knockout since 66. And it's just so many barriers. And, and, and best of all, I think beating Germany, the old enemy, will give a lot of confidence to some of these players that, you know, what they can do next. Absolutely. What you say there about Bakayo Saka and, and Raheem Sterling, I've heard people mention that, that England were returning to 3-4-3, which they used in the World Cup. But of course, that's not quite true, because back then Southgate hadn't been using a front three as much. And so really it was a 3-5-2 in the World Cup with, with Sterling and Kane sort of roaming. Now here, of course, he's had so much um success in, in the sort of 2018, 2019, 2020 with a front three, that he was never going to go back to that. So, uh, you know, that, that said, there was still the worry that with two in midfield rather than the three that you have in 3-5-2, there might lack a midfield link. And actually, Saka yeah. and Sterling dropped in early on in that first half. And that was, of course... Um, as you mentioned there, Saka was notable in the first half for dropping in uh, and picking up the ball from, from Rice and Phillips, who were fantastic considering how early on they got their yellow cards. And of course, Sterling, who forced Neuer into that early save from range, wouldn't have, you know, that, that chance wouldn't have come about had he not dropped in and received the ball from deeper, which is exactly what he was in the team to do, and Saka too. Yeah, absolutely. I, listen, I think the tactics were, were really interesting. So, you know, I think everyone was assuming that, blimey, if they go back to a back three, then there'll be no room for Saka. And I couldn't understand why that, that where that argument was coming from, because Saka's a very adaptable player. Mm. I'm not taking anything away from Foden, but I just think that the way I see it, it's almost like, you know, three, four, two, one, isn't it, really? And the sort of kind of the support, you know, behind and either side of Kane. And I thought it was a very fluid uh, you know, uh, formation when in attack and incredibly solid defensively um, when, they're, when they were under pressure. Listen, I think that Pickford made two outstanding saves, didn't he? The block and then the one from Havertz, which was just astonishing. You know, the reflexes were incredible in the second half. But generally, I do feel that it was a very controlled defensive performance. And I think the best, you know, the best system out of it. I don't, I'm not a massive fan of a back three, but I feel that it's at its best when the, you know, the wing backs can get forward and have a license to roam and link up with the inverted wingers, if you like. And I think that basically that those combinations really worked. And I think you saw that with Luke Shaw, you know, kind of, you know, really dominating yeah. down the left-hand side and linking up with Grealish as the game wore on. And I really like that. I thought that was that was great. And the, and the way that they sort of kind of came to the fore, you know, because Grealish came on for, you know, and then basically Saka went off. And Grealish basically, you know, made such an impact. And it was largely, wasn't it, because of his link there down that left-hand side. And it was just great. I thought that everything was executed brilliantly. Yeah, good on Luke Shaw as well to get the 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 second or the, rather the first assist and an assist of an assist for the second because of course he doesn't play mm. as a wing back for Manchester United, which is why Ben Chilwell was perhaps um, a favoured option going in because he has played as a wing back. But no, Shaw was one of England's best performers without a shadow of a doubt. I, I want to um, ask you about this because I call it recency bias, um, but I thought that England would maybe. <laughs> grind out another sort of pragmatic 1-0. And, and of course, that ended up being cl close to what ended up happening. Although, as you mentioned, Pickford was called into some saves. But 
you know, what, what gave me confidence before the game was that I thought if Southgate wanted the game tactically to be open and, and um, kind of to and, uh, to and fro football like Portugal-Germany had been and like a lot of these high-scoring round of 16 matches have been, I think he could have set it up like that and it would have just happened. And if he wanted it to be tight and cagey, as he clearly did, then that's what, we, that's what would have happened and that's what we got. I don't think Joachim Löw would have been able to have quite the same grasp on how yesterday's match went. And I think that's perhaps telling as to which team was in the ascendancy here. Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I, I think it's sort of unfair to, you know, write off Germany a bit too much. I think they're basically making, you know, Germany, it seems a bit unfamiliar to me to have Germany as, as a back three in a way, because it's normally sort of Hummel's the dominating figure, you know, and a year's gone by, whether it's Boateng or whoever it might be, you know, you've kind of then got really good, for, you know, strong full backs as well. You know, sort of a fairly standard system, you know, which is allows kind of a Muller to have sort of lots of license to roam. Seems a lot more fixed in a way because they are in between eras, if you like. I mean, listen, I thought Havertz was terrific, by the way. Absolutely superb for some 90 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, he's terrific. What a player he's going to be. And, um, I, you know, I thought Cruz and, and uh, Goretzka were, were terrific in that first 10, 15 minutes. And the thing is with, with that was that I thought that Southgate showed a maturity, really, because he's up against a hugely experienced and vastly successful manager in Joachim Love. And I think to kind of, you know, see that kind of, you know, make some small tweaks, give the players confidence, reassure from the touchline. I think there's, you know, a real art of management there. And I also felt like in the first game against Croatia, England, it really annoys me that basically England saying, oh, kind of, you know, didn't play that well. It's getting, you know, the credit was misplaced. I think that's nonsense. Croatia are a good side. You know, anyone that thinks differently is just overlooking their midfield. And I felt as if England's game management in that game was the reason why I was so impressed. They're incredibly efficient. And they, you know, saw the game out, scored the goal and then ground it down. And that's fine in tournament football. You know, and I think equally, England were patient against Germany, but knew they had to at some stage. It's a knockout, go and win the game. Mm. And so I feel like as if it was like they were waiting for their moment, almost like the, the boxer who's kind of, you know, jabbing, yeah. putting up on his defence and then basically going for the knockout blow when it's needed. And, and that's exactly what they did. They chose their moment in what, in the 10th round? <laughs> I mean, it's great, you know, and so... Make no mistake, it's a heavyweight contest and they've won it and, and, and they chose their moment to land that knockout blow. It's incredibly measured and before, you know, and, and, and polished. I thought it was really good. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think that that's one of the reasons why Jack Grealish has not started um, in this tournament bar the Czech Republic game. Uh, other than also perhaps he's not seen as being a, a tight presser in quite the same, mm. you know, incredible way that someone like Raheem Sterling is. But yeah, Grealish came on and made an impact. But but that come, that again comes down to Gareth Southgate. And I think we should touch on the manager because um, my preview piece um, for this fixture was entitled uh, Why Southgate and England Aren't Out for Revenge. And I think that speaks volumes of the manager, really, because he doesn't feel like he needs revenge. And more than anything else, you know, how is, how is beating Germany in 2021 revenge for losing to the 1996 version? I don't think it is. And I think he sees that. Um, was this personal redemption or, or, or is this or is this just a classy man who doesn't feel like he needs it? What do you think? A bit of both, really. 
I do, I do think underlying that, listen, I, you know, uh, he, he, he said, I don't know if he said it elsewhere as well, but he said to us the, the other day, what was it, Monday, um, you know, basically I had, I had a chat with, you, you know, Jude Bellingham basically and sort of what relevance is this sort of kind of Peter Bonetti anecdote from way back when to Jude Bellingham. And basically, it's of no consequence to him whatsoever. The point he's trying to make is that basically these players, this generation, don't even have an idea. Some of them weren't even born when basically England, you know, in Euro 96 or when England kind of, you know, uh, had the dramas of Germany in the past. I mean, it's just, you know, football and time moves on, doesn't it? And I think that basically, I think part of the problem is that Yes, I think Southgate has been incredibly impressive in kind of uh, getting rid of some barriers, breaking down barriers and kind of moving on from the past and whether that's kind of the shootout against Colombia or kind of, you know, win a knockout stage. I do also think that the history sometimes can be a burden on the shoulders and he just doesn't want that to be relevant. But there's no doubt about it. You know, Southgate has been personally haunted, I think, by Euro 96 and what happens. And, and in a positive sense, in a way, because he was determined that basically players would be really, really ready for penalties into the World Cup. He knew mm. what it meant. And again, in this time, so you can use it to learn and, and kind of improve upon. And so I think that's great from that point of view. So, you know, I just feel as if, you, you know, he, Southgate is a very, very eloquent, intelligent manager. And he kind of uses it and kind of ignores and picks his moments and he's saying, isn't he, that basically history is not relevant to these players, but underneath, secretly, there's definitely, definitely a bit of, you know, <laughs> a bit of personal satisfaction, not revenge, but almost as if he can finally close the door on that one and finally move on. And it's brilliant because I just think there's, you know, it, it, I mean, you know, you see Southgate at close quarters in, in press conferences and what have you and Zooms and stuff. He's such a nice guy. And we, I think, honestly, there's so much goodwill towards him from, from the press pack. And, you know, I think that basically, I think the fans have woken up this morning saying, do you know what? Yeah, this bloke's all right. This manager's OK. You know, he's pretty, pretty sharp, actually, after all. And basically he gets it right. And I just think he's, you know, I think he's terrific and he's proved his point. Absolutely. It's a very personal story, isn't it? He's been vilified and he's mm. felt he's felt internal demons brought, brought on by his, his own kind of patriotism for 25 years. And the idea that that, um, you know, not everyone gets the opportunity to rewrite their own reputation, but he, he's been given it. And he's he's been in the job for five years, which given what he's achieved so far, I wouldn't say is that long, really. I've been I've been very impressed. And it's dangerous to. Um, to, to back any manager you know when you're part of the media 100% and you've got to be critical when when the moment calls but you know the fact that there are some supporters of England that really don't like Gareth Southgate that they maybe think he's an, a bit of an FA yes man but, but but I think I think a lot of that is the is the supporters who who care much more about their club side and, and they they tune in to see if if Connor Cody will be picked because they love him I mean that I'm not that's not a slight on Wolves in general but um, no, it happens at all clubs. The fans who travel away to Kosovo and to San Marino away, for etc., uh, you know, and a lot of the media, I think they've been patient with Southgate, and I think there's a reason for that, isn't there? Um, he's making this job look remarkably easy at moments, both as a as a diplomat, uh, you know, and with Steve Holland behind him, and with with tactical decisions, especially in this tournament. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that basically, I mean, listen, you know, the other one that I always hear is Brighton and Lewis Dunk, by the way. La the narrative of the last six months or so, and even more perhaps, has been Jack Grealish, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, what on earth is Southgate doing by picking Mason Mount? You ask, you know, Gareth Southgate about Jack Grealish and give you an answer about Mason Mount. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, it is comedy and there will be, you know, petty sort of things. And, yeah. and listen, I, you know, I think sometimes these sort of kind of selections haven't done this or haven't done that right. And I think basically sometimes been a bit too conservative. I think he has been a bit conservative. And th these are small things and you have to trust the manager. And then basically, it wouldn't, you know, you can be uh, objective and critical, but I just think that it's it's nice that that people are realising, giving credit to Southgate. I really think that basically they're sort of kind of finally realising what a good manager he is. He's the perfect manager for England because he is, listen, when he first got the job, I'll always remember, I was thinking, really? I'm not sure about this. Underwhelming as an under-21s manager, really nice guy. Please don't get me wrong, but I wasn't sure about it. And I thought he would be a bit of a suit, if I'm honest. Yeah. But he's so not that person. You know, he's determined to have his say. He stands up for what he believes in. That isn't always singing from the FA hymn sheet. And I, I love that independence and freedom of thought. You know, it's, it's great, really. And managers are, are characterised by their philosophy or their DNA. And look, he's... I think natural instinct is to be a little bit safe. But I'm sorry, I, I don't think there's another manager in the world right now who could do a better job than Southgate because he gets the England team, he's reconnected with the fans, which is so key. Reached the you know, World Cup semi-final you know, three years ago. We can't go on about that forever. But now he's taken us into you know, the, the Euro, Euro's quarterfinal and given a great opportunity. And so... I think credit where credit's due, and he deserves plenty of it. Absolutely. I, I always describe him as a quiet philosopher. You know, he, he, yeah. he, is, he is ponderous in his role, but but not in an egotistical kind of self-evaluative way. He, he's doing it. He's not doing it for, for himself. And sounds a bit like David Brent, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, he's not doing it for himself and, and, and good for him. But um, let, let's just quickly touch on some of the other individuals involved in, you know, what was a wonderful, wonderful victory over Germany. Um Raheem Sterling has been talismanic for England so far in this tournament. He's got 15 goals in, or he's been involved in 15 goals in his last 20 England caps. Obviously, he's got that that little that tattoo with with the boy dreaming of playing at Wembley. It, it, that is a nice story, isn't it? And 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 he has stepped up for England. Brilliant. Honestly, I've been doing you know a piece on him this morning. Just about. I love the way that he's. You know, he wasn't massively popular with the fans in 2016. Probably was the one that sort of kind of came away with Delhi Alley in 2018 and thinking, oh, you know, sensible, unfulfilled, really. Yeah. And yet, you know, I just think he's been fantastic. His mentality is something else. I've always been a big fan of his. I think he's a really good guy. I think he's got a personality. He's got a connection with fans once they understand him and kind of, you know, see where he's coming from. And, you know, he's something special. I really, really think he has improved so much for England, for Manchester City. Just brilliant. And, you know, he sets the time. I'm so happy for him, in the, in, you know, to have been the match winner twice. Obviously scored the goal, which changed the game, basically, against Germany as well. And honestly, he's, he's yeah, he's, 
his contribution is, is is fantastic. It feels like he's really coming to the fore and he's like England's key man at the moment. Fabulous. As soon as he scored that first goal yesterday, of course, it, it was it was in a very counter-attacking sort of way when mm. Germany were going for that equaliser that England grabbed their second. Um, but but already by then, Tony Kroos had just plonked himself between the centre-backs. I know there were three of them, but between between the centre-backs. And he was just pumping balls into the box um, for Germany. It felt like for 20 minutes. And every single one came back with interest via Stones or Maguire or Walker. But, you know, that was at the end of the match. But actually, you realised in that moment that really all three of England's centre-backs, Walker, of course, you have to call a makeshift centre-back, had been outstanding aerially all afternoon, hadn't they? Yeah, yeah. Maguire, I thought Maguire, you know, Maguire got man of the match, didn't he? Yeah, From he did. the, um, I don't know quite how they select it at the moment. Oh, I, I thought he was, I thought he was great. They call him a star man, don't they? And basically, I thought he was great, actually. The other thing about Maguire is that basically, we saw this in sort of kind of the previous game against the Czech, is that he, you know, his distribution out from the back is really... Yeah really good you know basically both long and short I thought that was key but it just offers something you know a calming influence you know amongst the other two and I you know when this system works it does it can be really good defensively and make you look very solid and it and it kind of can flow very nicely forward but you've got to have the right people and I tell you in the first half I felt when when England were trying to reassert themselves on the game Look, I don't think Walker's had a brilliant tournament in terms of distribution, but I thought that his pace yesterday was important because he was the one that was tucking round and kind of making the, the, the runs. And as England sort of kind of pushed forward, they were leaving big gaps behind. And you just always felt, well, there's no way that Werner will be able to kind of get one over on Walker because he'll just, you know, his pace is so electric that basically there's no way that Werner's going to get in. So that defensive unit was, you know, was huge, I think, for England. I agree with what you say about Harry Maguire and especially Walker there because, you know, in, in 2018, the questions at the end of the tournament, especially having gone out to Croatia in the way that England did, were about, you know, was he really the right choice in that very defensive position? There is, you know, the, the the roles have switched here, haven't they? Because his distribution has been what's poor, and actually defensively, he's looked very comfortable. It was it was in the first three or four minutes that Germany hooked a cross in, it evaded everyone, and he just nodded it behind for a corner. And if you can avoid a corner, you should. But I don't think England could have there, and it was the right thing to do, and and it set off yet another performance where I thought Walker was defensively very very assured. I want to talk about Kane as well, because mm. we love um, we love sort of personal narratives and, and we've took and England fans have, have you know have been hating the fact that Kane keeps retaining his place despite looking sluggish and I think you have to say he has looked off the pace I think it's mm. I described in, in in my last podcast that it's it seems a mixture of he's off the pace he's been defended against well you know very well and um, he's not he's just not been served but the one moment that he was he was there and ready to plonk it in the back of the net by stretching his neck muscles wasn't he <laughs> yeah he was look I, 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 yeah, look look I get the frustration with uh, with with him in that basically he um, when he doesn't play well and he hasn't played well then sometimes frankly he can look really so poor there's certain players isn't there there's no black or white with them basically <laughs> there's kind of no middle ground and and he has struggled but i must say i'm a massive kane fan 
I just think he's a very, very good captain in that lead from example kind of, you know, rabble-rousing sort of way as well. I think he has, you know, had a brilliant season. I've seen a lot of him this season and he's been fantastic. Yeah. Both goals and assists, taking his game to a whole new level. I would argue strongly that he's just enjoyed his best season, um, really, yeah. um, you know, professionally and career-wise. One thing that I would point to, which I hadn't really thought about until someone, you know, mentioned a couple of weeks ago, really. And I do think it's it's possibly an underlying factor is that he was rushed back, if you remember, very, very quickly after injury for the cup final, uh, the League Cup final. I just don't think he's been right since. You know, he said, he said, don't get me wrong, he scored subsequently to that for Spurs, but I just don't think he's been quite right. Because uh, earlier in the season, he was incredible. Yeah. He was off the scale good. And I just think he's... You know, he's trying to come back and desperate to play. He always is. And maybe, you know, that has affected his confidence, you know, and his sharpness, you know, and it's sort of kind of, it's affected his kind of, you know, rhythm. And and I just think hopefully now, you know, this will be lift off for him with, with the goal. And basically, you know, maybe he can quickly get onto, onto the goal rush and knowing Harry Kane and think, right, I'll score a hat-trick on Saturday. Score two two in the semi-final. I'll still be golden boot winner. That's how his mind will work. I guarantee it, you know, because he thinks he's got lift off. And I admire that so much. And I just think he he's so important. There's no chance that you can drop Harry Kane, I, from my mind. I just, I don't think there is. And now this will be lift off for him. It's huge. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I don't think you, it's wise to say that players are undroppable. And I asked whether Mason Mount was undroppable in, in March. And he said, I don't think anyone is. And, and I was pleased he said that because I think he's right. And, and especially someone like... Um, like Harry Kane, you'd, you'd ask if, if he is, but um, I think he's the closest we've got to it. And, and frankly, if, if you drop him, suddenly the defenders aren't quite as concentrated on, on the replacement for him. And, and then there's less space for players like Sterling to move into, which has been so important for England already. Just finally, then, let, let's touch on Ukraine, who were the, perhaps slightly by surprise that the, the team who came through the other round of 16 time, which means that they're now England's next opponents in Rome. I um, I spoke to John Murray on this podcast uh, earlier on in, in the uh, in the series, and he he said that he fears, this was bef- after the Romania friendly, so we hadn't started the tournament, and he said um, that he slightly fears England in Rome because um, no team has ever had to deal with a tournament before where it's wholly at home, bar one game. And that, that is a strange kind of situation to be in, but... Mm. You know, <laughs> we don't want to jinx things, but but the Ukraine are, are perhaps a slightly slightly easier to beat opposition than we might have expected um, th- this fixture to be to be against. So, what have you made of them? And and are England going to kick on from now, or are they going to just uh, you know kick themselves <laughs> when when they least expect to? Yeah, look. That would be the one worry for me. Really, this tournament has been all about the upsets, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, they're great stories, you know. How would you compare Switzerland, who always, you know, the steady eddies of the FIFA World Rankings, you know, yeah. as comparing them as opposition and kind of in relative terms to, to, to knocking out France? Would that be similar to Ukraine knocking out England? What I'm trying to say is that basically, I guess that kind of people didn't even expect sort of the Czech Republic to be a Holland and... You know, it's been upset after upset and it's been, you know, fantastic tournament made by those upsets. So that's the danger. I think that, you know, it's going to be difficult. 
I think, you know, for the players who've kind of been in this luxurious position of kind of steady training base, they've probably, you know, fed off that and then basically down to Wembley and that's fine. But now all of a sudden you kind of in these COVID times, it's difficult, you know, to, to navigate that. It'd be, it's a challenge in itself. And I, you know, I thought that Sweden obviously watched the, 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 the saw the red and then basically the game changed at that point and Ukraine became more dominant. Mm. Um, it's, you know, Zinchenko is their go-to man, is their star player. You know, he obviously is in midfield for them and then basically plays left you know, left back or left wing back for, for City. Um, and he, you know, he's a, he's a good player, but he's clearly their best player, <laughs> you know. And it's it, the way, you know, Yarmolenko, you know, he's technically brilliant, but very, very prone to injury, as again we've seen. And it's... Um, what struck me about their, the, the biggest threat, maybe, for the game was the way that they celebrated at the end. Yeah. And they couldn't charge Shevchenko, who, you know, obviously a legendary player, but it was the togetherness, wasn't it? Yeah. I know it's, because, it's a bit of a cliche, and maybe it's like a bit of a cop-out to say that team spirit and that togetherness is, is the biggest weapon, but it is. It so clearly is. Because I love the way that they celebrated together in front of that tiny little corner section of Ukrainian fans. And I think that basically that togetherness shouldn't be underestimated. So they will feel as if they have a chance. But look, England should win this game. Make no mistake about it. Probably helped by the fact that basically, you know, England's game against Germany was an emotionally tiring experience. But I think Ukraine probably had an emotional and physical tiring experience yeah. because it was incredible effort from them. So what has that taken out of them? You know, England, I think, will be big favourites and, and that in itself can be a worry. Well, that, that was a star-studded bench that, that, that England named against Germany and perhaps mm. that, that's where we come into it. England hasn't, you know, Southgate hasn't stuck with the same lineup for any two games, just like just like he didn't, uh, uh, sorry, uh, completely opposite of, of what happened in Russia, where there was very much a, a fixed 11. And that, that's one way in which England, I'd say, have evolved. So, um, you know, if there are changes, you know, I welcome that. Uh, I don't see that as being a, a worry that you've got to keep everything the same. I, I don't think don't think we need to be quite as rigid as, as that. that. That seems um, a sentiment from, from a bygone era that we need to keep a winning team together. But Ultimately, it will come down to, to events and uh, hopefully England have the better of them. But John Cross, thank you very much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed looking back over what has, what frankly I didn't expect, but yeah, ultimately England have beaten Germany at last in a knockout game and uh, we can all smile for a couple of days at least. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy it for a lot longer. It'd be brilliant. It'd be brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me. So that was John Cross. So we move on to Saturday and the game after England-Germany was Sweden-Ukraine, which was, I thought, be a bit dull, but it was actually really entertaining. There was a red card, a late, late winner for Ukraine in that game. And the Sweden's manager, who looks a bit like Luke Carpenter from Neighbours, was, was looking a bit crestfallen by the end. But uh, Andrei Shevchenko was through. Ukraine couldn't almost believe their luck, could they? And it's... Personally, I prefer Ukraine to Sweden because Sweden are always awkward opponents. However, the caveat to that is it's the one game that England won't play at Wembley to get to the final. It's been played in Rome. So that maybe closes the gap a little bit. I think it does close the gap. But but ultimately, England... Are, I don't want to get into the whole Croatia thing again because Croatia had to come through extra time in all of their knockout games in the World Cup and, and they still knocked us out. But 
you know, is there something in the fact that Ukraine have had to go to extra time? I think there is. I think that does that does tire you out. Um, they, they seem to have quite a few injuries. I don't know how many of those will players who mm. went off will be able to to play in the game. I'm sure all of them will, but but bar one, of course, because of the red card looked a horrific challenge. Yeah, yeah, for Danielson, yeah, quite a lot. He got the right uh, the red card, but Ukraine did ride the luck as well. I think Sweden hit the post twice in a bar once. So you like to think England will. Keep Ukraine's attacking fullbacks are wingers, Yarmolenko, you got Zinchenko, two players who everyone knows from playing in the Premier League. If they can keep those quiet, I think defensively they're not great, are they? Although I do I do think the goalkeeper is very good. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um I think you're right that Ukraine couldn't believe their luck. And and I think it was a close game, but I think Sweden were favourites. And England will now look to you know they'll spend a few days preparing for this fixture, and when it comes to it, they'll they'll pick whichever formation suits. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what formation Ukraine play. I don't know if you remember. I think it's similar to uh, to Germany really because they have the full the wing backs pushing on. I did I did yeah. hear them mention that, and I thought I wonder if Southgate will go for the same formation if they do play Ukraine, which ultimately they are going to end up doing. Right, so so maybe it'll be it'll be three four three again. Interesting to see if England come through that, and I know that's getting ahead of myself. But if England come through that and they they played someone a team who plays four three three in the semi-finals, would he switch back? Mm. I'd like to think he would. I'd like to think that we've we've now developed that versatility, flexibility, adaptability. To, I to did change. think they look a lot more fluid and comfortable with three at the back. You know, you got Walker's pace, Stones isn't the slowest. Maguire can bring the ball out. I think it gives you that. It just gives you that bit more solidity, doesn't it, as well, which you don't always have with four at the back because if Stones comes out and Maguire comes out and they lose the ball, you are sort of exposed a little bit with one centre-half. So, it, yeah, it will be interesting. Uh, obviously, and then it depends. If England do beat Ukraine, who gets through between Denmark and Czech Republic? Yeah, I, exactly. Um be interesting, wouldn't it, to meet the Czech Republic, having had them in the group, not in the final. Because usually that's how these things work. You play someone in your group, then mm. you and you and you meet them again. It's in the final. But of course they came through third, and and it would, it was the second place team, Croatia, who who that would work for. But they're out. Yeah, I think Ukraine is an interesting prospect. Andrei Shevchenko um, has done a fantastic job there. Um, it's relatively early in his managerial career, very early in fact, and uh, he's taken them to their first ever quarter final, which is brilliant. But you know. I, I think they've probably gone as far as they'll go. I think Southgate will spend a... F- I, I, it's very hard to talk about these things knowing that we that, that Iceland happened and knowing that mm. there have been more of these games in the past. But, but a different animal, different mentality, aren't they? And different England. Different mm. England. This, this, is a, this is an England who don't seem to go into games, you know, on a whim, on a, on a, with a hop, skip and a jump because, of that, because they're playing a team ranked lower than them. They seem to do their homework and they seem to adapt to the opposition. And the England players look about as united as any England team has ever been. So I, I back us. I, I, I back us. In Rome, it could, it's an interesting spectacle. I, I fear for us only because no team has, has ever had to, to cope with being at home in the tournament bar one game. But, you know, get through that and, and you're back at Wembley and, and at Wembley. I don't think I don't think England would say that the opposition matters all too much. That mm. home support really does, you know, buoy you on. 
I hope that we can get some England fans in Rome. I'm, I'm not sure what the situation is there. I'm sure that I don't tough. think they're allowed to travel, but obviously there'll be some expats over there, won't there? That's a great shame, isn't it? I didn't know that. I think because yep. Italy, because Italy is still on the amber list. I think you potentially could go, but you'd obviously have to quarantine, and you couldn't go to the semis if they got through. And it's whether you want to take that risk. Yeah. Okay. So, so that will be that might be a, a difficult task for England, not having that 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 whole stadium of support behind them. But you've got to get through these tasks if you're going to become champions. England have passed the the second round, but there's the third, fourth, and fifth to come. So. Um, England-Ukraine is a, is a curious prospect for a quarter-final, but it is a quarter-final. England will do their best to prepare for it, and you can bet your life we'll be back after the game reviewing it. Uh, oh, but for the moment, can you imagine moment, after, after all the hard work of beating Germany if you get bundled out by Ukraine? That would just be oh, exactly. devastating, wouldn't it? Exactly. Let, let's hope that they, uh, they put it in on the training ground and they leave... Leave the unicorns to a to, to another week, perhaps. L- leave the unicorns uninflated. Let's uh, let, let's stick to the training ground, lads. Um, maybe that's a good plan for this week. But um, no, U- Ukraine next. Um, but let's uh, let's at least ba- bask in the glory of beating Germany first, because that that's a nice feeling, a rare feeling. It is. It's going to be a, an enjoyable few days. Uh, let's hope the next podcast isn't the last podcast, Adam. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, I have faith. Let, let's let's keep faith. If if the if England Germany is anything to go by, we, we should keep faith. We've got a decent uh, group of lads, and uh, I reckon we can do it. From me, Dom Smith. For the moment, um, it's goodbye. And for me, Luke Edwards, it's goodbye. <laughs>